0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io.
1: And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson. Today we're going to be talking about user experience and how important it is for software, our guest today is Mel Hogan. Um, he is a freelance consultant, owns his own consulting business around doing user experience and other types of design work. We'll share a little more about what he does today as well. Um, before we get started, I do want to remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Puzzle is powered by FullScale. Hiring software developers is difficult. FullScale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. That's our company that puts on the show here. Please visit FullScale.io to learn more. Mel, welcome to the show, man.
0: Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
1: So I, I think the first disclaimer has to be that you and I have worked together uh, on and off for 22 years or some craziness like that. Yes, 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 we have. How many companies have we worked at together? Like four? Uh, one,
0: two, three, four, four and a half. Four, probably five at this point.
1: So, are you just waiting? Are you just waiting to to be hired again, or you're going to hire me next time? Like, what what's going to uh, happen?
0: Uh, I'm I'm probably looking into more of a revenue share situation for the next <laughs> partnership. <laughs>
1: well, thank thank you so much for being on the show today, and um, excited to talk about UX, you know, user experience and design, and you know how important that is for software products. I know that's something that you're really passionate about. Um, before we get started talking about that, though, why don't you give us a little more about your background, except having to deal with my bullshit for twenty years?
0: <laughs> it's not been bullshit. I've learned a lot working with you. Um, all right. Well, my background is uh, it's a hodgepodge, really. Um, I, how far back do you want me to go with this? Because <laughs> that could be the entire podcast. Um, I'll, I'll give you the abbrevi- the the, the
1: notes. So the the thirty second version that starts at preschool.
0: Well, I did not attend preschool because I grew up in the inner city, um, <laughs> so that wasn't offered. Mm. But anyway, uh, yeah, always had an interest in art from an early age, started drawing when I was probably five years old, um, really fell in love with comic books at an early age, as you can tell from my hat and the photo behind me, which you can't see on the podcast, but it's there, I assure you. Both are Spider-Man references. And... From there, always wanted to pursue art, but circumstances eventually led me into the military, where I went in and became an infantryman. I was in during the first Gulf War, didn't have to go to the first Gulf War or at least fight in it, uh, which I don't consider a loss. <laughs> but I did have a job in the military as the brigade illustrator, so I got to pursue my art and got my first introduction into graphic design while I was in the military,
1: nice. working on a
0: per yeah, working on a software program called uh, Harvard Graphics, which was like super old school. Uh, and in my unit, we played the first um, rotoscoped video game on a Mac, which was called Prince of Persia, the original Prince of Persia, which at, at, at the time, it was like, uh, what if pit, Pitfall looked really, really cool? So it, Prince of Persia, we were all obsessed with. So after the military, I came out, I did community college for a little bit, and thought I wanted to go in journalism, so I took a few journalism classes, which actually taught me a little bit about writing and storytelling, which has actually served me well later on, much like, and I'm not in any way comparing myself to Steve Jobs here, but much like his calligraphy classes helped him uh, with the creation of the Mac, the storytelling I learned in journalism help, has helped me immensely in user experience design. So. Came close to my associate's degree, putzed around for a little bit after that, thought I was going to get a quote-unquote real job. Worked as a, co- a computer operator at a company called Kemper Financial Services here in Kansas City, uh, which that basically that job uh, taught me the basics of object-oriented programming, but essentially my job was to go and move cont- computer tapes from one machine to the other when they requested it uh, from the mainframe. So this is, we're talking old school. I learned object oriented programming on an AS400 and IBM AS400.
1: Oh yeah, uh, that's right. You did some computer programming too.
0: Yeah, a little bit. I've done, I've done a little bit of everything. Uh, and while I was there, I decided to see if I could get into the Kansas City Art Institute, which is basically an Ivy League art school, and I can show you my tuition tuition bills to prove that to you. Yep. Um but went there and graduated after four years uh took one web design class in 97 so this is the early days of the web and really just fell in love with it uh really just saw the possibilities in the web thought it was cool that you could combine writing drawing graphic design and animation all in one place and never really looked back from there uh jumped into web design worked in the advertising business for 12 years in web design Kind of got burnt down on advertising design and ended up doing uh, product design after that. And all of this was user experience design. It just wasn't called that at the time. Yeah. And so went from there. Uh, My first true product design job was with with a company called Live On, which didn't. And (laughs) I love saying that. That
1: was one of your first startups you worked at, right? First startups, yeah. Yeah.
0: And. Wait, was Live before? No, I think I think my first product design was job was with you at uh at ben Solutions. But that was more still okay. website design. That was still okay. website design. That wasn't really product design per se, because I didn't have a lot to do with our core application at Ben Solutions. I was more well, on the website end.
1: So let me so let me ask you this, and yeah. um from I a, can go on. <laughs> so when you talk about design perspective for a second, for those who are listening, they're like, okay you're talking about graphic design, web design. I would love for you for a minute or two to kind of explain what you think, how how would you describe the differences between like graphic design and for say like print, you know, for like a business card versus magazine, things like that versus web. And then, you know, you've also done a lot of stuff with illustration, with animation, with video, like if somebody's thinking about like, oh, I want to hire a Design, you know, a graphic design person or UX person, that could mean a lot of different things, right? So love to hear yeah, your absolutely. kind of take on the difference of those things. And if you were going to hire somebody, how those are probably totally different people.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Okay, so uh, first we'll start with my basic definition of design as a whole. And the way that I talk about design is design answers questions and art asks questions. So, and what I mean by that is, you know, Design uh, design isn't art in my in my view, because design is about solving problems. And in order to solve a problem, you have to have a clearly defined problem, right? And so, from that perspective, if you want to look at graphic design, well, graphic design solves visual problems. You know, so what is the layout of this page? What are the colors on this page? What are the fonts on this page? How do those things? How do you combine those things to deliver a cohesive message visually? right so that would be graphic design at its core um animation of course is telling stories through moving images right but it's all about the story in animation so you've got to have some type of story that you're trying to communicate when you're animating otherwise it's just making things move for not really any reason now the nuance of that is when you get into ui animation In that scenario, you're trying to make the user's experience a little bit more enjoyable, a little bit more fluid, and maybe draw attention away from what they're doing as far as the work of it and kind of soften the experience they're having through animation. So Google has some great animation guidelines that help with that in their material design. Um, Videography is something I've toyed with. Don't have enough uh, experience or information to go do a deep dive on that, but it's its own animal. And then there's motion graphics, which is its own category of animation. And motion graphics, if you think about movie titles, all of that, it's not unlike what I've talked about with other types of animation in that it is communicating something, it is telling a story. So the, the, the commonality between all of these things is you're trying to communicate an idea, you're trying to solve a problem, you're trying to tell a story. Where UX design kind of veers off of that page extremely, in my view, is you can tell in all of these other mediums, you can tell a story that is universal, right? But with UX design, you have to get down to the brass tacks of the individual users that you're trying to communicate with. So you could think of UX design as if Disney were making a movie for Matt Watson, right? And so Disney went out and they studied everything about Matt Watson and they know Matt Watson very, very well. And they're tailoring that movie to Matt Watson. Well, that's why we use personas in UX design is because we want to narrow it to two or three types of users and then customize that experience towards those users. So whatever context they're having that experience in is the best possible experience that they're having. Now, it uses all the elements of graphic design and some of the elements of animation to achieve that. But it's more focused on creating creating an experience rather than communicating an experience, if that makes
1: sense. Well, and I, I, you know, user experience design is so important, you know, even take somebody like my wife, who is not very high tech at all. She's very low tech. Like, I've only seen her use a laptop computer one time in the last four years. Um, And the littlest things in some kind of mobile app or or that kind of stuff completely will trip her up um and that's a lot of the population you know even though a lot of people have iPhones and all the stuff you know they use all day long user experience is really important to eliminate the you know the little extra steps and diversions that people run into that causes friction right i mean that is the big big thing about user experience design is trying to eliminate all that friction
0: absolutely and a great example of that is uh there has been a push with automobile makers to go towards touchscreens in their vehicles and you're seeing a bit of backlash against that because the problem with touchscreens is they eliminate the convenience of a knob or a dial or a switch because you have to look at them in order to interact with them. So prior to uh, touch touchscreens, if you wanted to turn up your AC or something like that, you just had that memorized by like it yeah. was root,
1: right? Yep. Yep.
0: But, but now with touchscreens, sometimes they make the mistake of actually moving controls around. And so, I, I see touchscreens as being, they can be a little bit dangerous on the road because they're distracting.
1: This is my moment to rant about my Chrysler car that you can only change the volume with your right hand, even though there's are steering wheel controls. They weren't smart enough to put the volume control in the left hand. So if you have something in your right hand, it is impossible to change the volume with your left hand. <laughs> Versus all my other cars, the volume is on the left. So it's Mm -hmm. like you could use your left hand to do it on the steering wheel or your right hand to do it on the dash. It's the littlest things like that that people don't think about. Those are the the little things in user experience that make all the difference. And
0: uh, These are the arguments I get into on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I should say Uh, discussions, but sometimes arguments.
1: Yeah. So one thing that I think is is definitely unique uh, from your experience over your career, right? You started out as you, you dated yourself earlier, you know, you're, you're super old. You, you mentioned that earlier, the, um,
0: getting better with time.
1: Yeah. But you have seen so much change across all these years, right? Like at one point in time, you were an expert at something like, uh, flash doing script and and animation, all these things. And of course, Apple killed that, uh, you know, a few years ago. And, um, and then now we're have AI and, and it's helping do different design work. And so you've kind of seen the whole spectrum of this over time. And I, you know, I've also seen that, you know, from kind of a different perspective, as far as like building websites and basic web development and stuff like that. And, um, kind of like with AI, AI is, makes it, you know, I think the big thing with AI is it gives access to more people to do some, at least some form of the work. They're still not an expert, but at least they have, they have access to it. Right. And, and that's the same with web design. Like, I can build the website for my company now, and it's all like point click, almost like doing a PowerPoint or something. Mm-hmm. And it comes out looking pretty damn good. Know. Uh, you know, it's not at the same level that somebody like you would do, but for the novice, like, you can pretty do a pretty damn good job. I mean, you can. You so can. That, that's the great thing about technology over all these years and, and AI as well is, is just giving more access to more people, I think, to do the work. But 100%. then, they, but then, at some point in time, um, we fumble around with it. We think we got it figured out, but we don't know what we're doing. And then we come running back to somebody like you to actually do it the right way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> to some degree, yeah, um, I'm really excited about AI. Honestly, uh, you'll you'll meet a lot of creatives who are nervous about it, and uh, I'm one of. I guess I'm a rare one in that because it doesn't scare me at all. Uh, the best quote I read about AI as it relates to the creative field is, "AI is not going to steal your job." someone using AI is going to do yes. your job. Yes. Um, and so I wholeheartedly believe that. Like AI, I'll give you a perfect example. I used to have to write these, uh, this business justification for changes that I made to this component library for one of my clients. And it was basically just to let the product owners know why we made these changes so they could go and read it. And all of the answers and the reasoning for all of this it's all out there someone's already answered all those questions right? right so i could sit there and rack my brain or i could go into chat GBT and say write business justification for this change to this type of component and then just tweak two or three words or lines on it and i've now taken a job that was 45 minutes and reduced it to five right so another great example is i was doing research on a component that we were looking at building And I knew that across the web, this particular component had, you know, I knew it had at least three names that it went by, but I went into chat GPT and I said, what are all the names for this type of component? It gave me a list of like 15 names. And then I took those 15 names and I did research on those 15 names and I found exponentially more approaches to building this type of component than if I had just gone with the one name I was familiar with, right? Right. So it has sped up and improved the quality of my work exponentially so that's the reason I'm excited about it I'm not gonna I'm not gonna climb in a cave and go oh no AI is gonna take my job and take over the world and kill me on at, at a whim you know I'm, I'm excited about it
1: well and from your examples there it didn't replace your work it made you more productive right like absolutely it, it was more of a productivity tool and um, I
0: and how easy would it be for me to hire a virtual assistant and say go when you need to complete these tasks, hop into ChatGPT and then send me the results of it. And now I'm not even doing the ChatGPT work, right?
1: Yeah. So So when you're tell us a little more about your your practice that you have as a consultant and and kind of what you focus on today.
0: Yeah, my my big interest is at least currently. I'm I'm kind of going through a personal transformation in the way that I look at my business. But where, where I've kind of hung my hat up to this point is in enterprise software, and the way that I define enterprise software is any type of software that an organization builds internally uh, as far as productivity tools and things of that nature for, the, for their teams internally to use, or any type of software that they go out and purchase for their teams to use internally. Um, the reason I'm interested in this is because I think the users of that software are oftentimes neglected because most enterprise software solutions are purchased by people who are never actually going to be the day-to-day users, right? So if you look at how many sales, how many horrible, really sales, Salesforce implementations there are out there, where someone goes out and they go, "Our sales team needs to use Salesforce." And they get sold, because Salesforce has a phenomenal sales team, they get sold all of these bells and whistles from Salesforce, and then they have to hire a Salesforce administrator to come in, who is really just nine times out of 10 going to regurgitate what they've done for another company. Uh, I I have yet to see a Salesforce administrator come in and do user interviews and talk to the people who are actually the sales team that's actually going to use the software and ask them what they want the software to do. So I feel like there's an opportunity there to go in from a consulting standpoint and say, here, let me be your UX consultant for implementing Salesforce, Monday.com, Jira, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let me talk to your users, find out what they want, save you a load of time and effort on the implementation and on what aspects of the software that you actually purchase and possibly save your, the, the money that you would pay you know, at last end for all the bells and whistles that you don't need for jira let's decide what you do need pair down that package from an enterprise software package scale and then you'll have money left over to pay for my services right so that's kind of one area i'm focusing on uh, i've already done one project with a uh, large concrete precast company where they had an internal tool that they built for dispatching their trucks and managing shipments and all of their dispatch dispatchers. They were not fans of this. I won't say they hated it, but they they were not fans of it, and they did not feel like anyone asked them how it should work when they initially built it, right? So they brought me in. I went to four or five of their offices between California and Nevada. I spent the entire day with a dispatcher at each of those offices, just shadowing them to understand how we can make the software work in a work better for them in real-world scenarios. I took that information and that research, I went back and I made recommendations, did wireframes, did user flows, didn't stop talking to the dispatchers at that point. As we did the wire flows and, or the user flows and the wireframes, sent those out to the dispatchers, got their input on, is this how you envisioned it working, came to a consensus on that. And then we redesigned and relaunched the entire application and now they love it. And it's increased their pro- productivity by at least 40%, right? so. It was a big deal and that was kind of where I cut my teeth on this idea that people need help with their internal software because oftentimes even if they have a UX team that UX team is focused on building and improving customer facing products not internal right. products.
1: But so, part of part of your struggle is you can only control the visual parts of it you can do the mockups of it and stuff but then you still got to you they still have to go back to their software development team and actually implement all the changes right which is which is probably always your frustration because you're like, I, I build all this beautiful stuff and, and now they actually have got to go do it. And there's probably always, that's part of the struggle, oh. right?
0: Well, it's not a struggle because I work well with software developers, as you know, uh, <laughs> but uh, I usually, I involve the software team early on and we talk about what technology is going to be used to build it. And I speak software well enough to, understand when someone communicates to me what a limitation on building software is where i can generally come to a middle ground with any software team that i work on where we may not get exactly what we envision but we'll come pretty darn close and honestly that's what that's what uh, a phase one or a beta version of software is is you put you know you put your the mvp right you put the best product out that you can initially and then you decide what your high priority items are. You build those first. And then the advanced features you work in over time.
1: Well, I mean, part of my point is is the, the development team still has to dedicate resources to actually make this absolutely. all happen, right? And that's, oh, absolutely. That, that's part of the struggle. And, and if you need help finding software developers, it doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the full scale platform to define your technical needs and see what developers are available to join your team today. Please visit FullScale.io to learn more. So Mel, I want to ask you about enterprise user experience. Sure. And what does that mean to you? What is inter- If we say, what is user or enterprise user experience? What does that mean?
0: Yeah, so this is a concept that I've been toying with for the better part of probably three years now. Uh, and I've been trying to define it in a way that makes sense outside of my head, if you will, uh, uh, an elevator pitch, if you will. And I haven't quite gotten there yet, but the nuts and bolts of it is, it goes back to what I said earlier, which is enterprise software is often purchased by people who will never use it. So they, uh, the the individuals within the organization, be it a CTO, be it, whoever they've got in charge of purchasing, God help them if it is a person who's never working with software, but just decide, but has somehow has the authority. I've seen this happen where a CEO has purchased software because he got sold something by a slick salesperson and foisted it upon their team. And so for me, enterprise user experience is really an internal discipline to an organization where you're saying, what are the tools that we've either built or purchased within our organization and who are the people that are using them and how do we customize, build, uh, what's another word add on to those, that software to make our employees not only more efficient, but enjoy their jobs more, right. And give them a say into the tools that they are using every day, because I know from experience, like I love journals and I love writing in journals, right. And so I have a lot of very cool, fun journals and a lot of very cool, fun writing utensils. And so as a result, I use them more often. So if you feel like the tools you're using are enjoyable to use, you're going to use them more often. If you feel like something is absolute drudgery to use, then, you know, it's like think about most time entry software is a great, great example of this. Most time entry software is a horrible user experience because you have to go in every day. You have to enter 15... In increments of time, you have to document that time manually. Say what you did, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you could, if you could go in and improve that for your users, a, what company charges? I don't know. I mean, maybe law offices bill their clients for time time spent entering time. I would hope not, <laughs> but maybe they do. So there's a lot of opportunity to cut costs and increase productivity by focusing on what I'm calling for now enterprise user experience
1: well so i i got the the answer for us i asked chat gbt what Excellent. what a chat what is enterprise user all right
0: experience? let's hear this long-winded answer
1: so i usually when you think of user experience you think of consumer facing apps like you think of something exactly. like twitter or facebook yeah, or some yeah. game or whatever i That's, know where you're going that's designed to be really easy to use and really simple and all that, right? Mm-hmm. And to your point, enterprise software usually isn't. It's usually a trapper keeper of a whole bunch of shit that most people don't use, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. It's, and, you know, so for my first company, we worked out together, Vin Solutions. We built CRM software for car dealers, and it's probably a good example of this, right? Like over time, it's got okay. a million functions, a million reports, a million settings. It's got all these different things. And most large companies end up with some kind of software like this. Yes. And then what you also end up with is a bunch of people who have worked there for a long time that will give you an edge case reason for why every single thing can't be changed. We can't do this because of this one client. We can't do this. We can't, we, we can't do this. We can't do that. Right. And or we need this one little setting because of this and whatever. Um, and so that's the hard part, I think, for somebody like you is trying to break through that and figure out, OK how do we make this as easy to use as like our grandma is on Twitter, but you know, it's, I guess grandma is working in the call center or whatever it is using the software instead and making it easy to use. Right. It's like focusing on user experience on these enterprise software that is not consumer facing, I guess is how I would describe it.
0: Yeah. And, uh, one of the ways to do that honestly is, uh, one of the most difficult things to implement, at least in my experience, in any software, but one of the best things you can do to improve the user experience is, you know, role-based functionality. Right. So right. this role can use the these features. This role can use these features, and you only open up those features to those particular roles. Now, the mistake a lot of organization makes, or uh, a lot of organizations make, is a lot of times they leave a lot of times they leave that decision in the hands of the IT department. And if you've ever dealt with an IT department, you know they can be curmudgeonly and slow and just grumpy about <laughs> allowing you to do anything because they're paranoid because it's on them if anything goes wrong with any of the software at a higher level. So a perfect example of that is what like with one of my clients, they've got their JIRA implementation so locked down. That you can't add, um, you can't create a template, for example, for a ticket, right? And it takes months for their IT department to implement that because it's such a quote-unquote specialized thing that honestly wouldn't have to be specialized if you had somebody motivated like me who was wanting, willing to go in and learn how to do it and just implement it, right? But so I think from that perspective, just, just consulting with and creating roles for user, user roles within enterprise software within an organization is a huge way to increase productivity. And the thing is, is, you know, there's a a lot of companies don't want to spend the time or money on research, but it's short sighted, right? Because you're going to end up with the results of that research one way or the other. You're going to end up with it via turnover you're going to end up with it via inefficiencies within your organization, and, or you're going to end up with it via you know, subject internal subject matter experts who are keeping things to themselves rather than sharing them because in their mind, that's job security, knowing JIRA better than anyone else or having access to JIRA better than, or, or so than anyone else. So there's a lot of opportunities for organizations to save a lot of money and time and streamline their operation by streamlining how they use enterprise software rather than, you know, uh, the analogy I use is rather than squashing a fly with a Buick, right? I mean, a lot of enterprise software can be overkill unless it's Im- implemented correctly to your earlier point.
1: Well, and part of your challenge too is working with some of these larger companies and having having them actually use standards across all of their software, right? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they have this big complicated software that does all these things, Trying to create some user experience standards, style standards Mm -hmm. across all of the software is always really difficult to do. Because even as a developer, like, okay, yeah, we could change this screen, but there's like a hundred more of them. And it's like a nightmare to change all a hundred of them. Mm -hmm. And that's also a similar sort of problem for enterprise user design stuff, right? Oh, yeah,
0: it definitely is. Like uh, one organization I work with is they still have things, they still have products that are built in cold Fusion. Oh geez and, <laughs> yeah, and so they're going through an overall like they're kind of in the middle of a two stage process upgrading to angular and then modernizing their software, and they have very defined windows in which they can update products uh where they're not being used heavily, and so it's a year's long product process to update these uh various pieces of software that they have. And to get buy-in from people who've been there for years saying, well, I know this is the way you've all always done this, but this isn't necessarily the best user experience because no one's ever considered the user experience. And so you have to balance what their users are familiar with, with what a good user experience is. And there's an additional challenge there because developers tend to Want to use the newest and sexiest things, whether they're the best user experience or not, and so I have to balance. I have to navigate the engineering team. I have to navigate the product owner team. I have to navigate the actual users. I have to navigate the leadership within the organization, and I have to bring all of those people together in some semblance of an agreement of how we're going to move forward on any initiatives right. we're going to take. So it's it's a really interesting problem. Um, so my time is usually spent, 70% of it is spent on the consulting side and talking to people and bringing people together and building bridges within the organization. And about 30% of it is spent actually designing anything.
1: Well, it's, it's hard in a lot of organizations just to get people to sit down and make decisions, right? Like, oh, yeah. And, and to some degree, that ends up being your job of like, okay, I got to get everybody in a room and we're not leaving until we make a decision.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, the, the good thing about that for me is I'm not shy. So <laughs>
1: Yeah. So if if somebody's listening right now and they have a a startup, a small software company, whatever, and they've thought about working with a UX designer, what kind of tips do you have for somebody that's thinking about maybe I should hire someone, when should they consider hiring someone, where would they find one, like what what kind of advice do you have?
0: Yeah, I mean, it varies based on the organization, right? Um, So it also varies at what stage your product is in. So if I were a young startup and I was kind of in the proof of concept phase where I was trying to go out and get investment and I knew I had a really solid idea and I had an MVP software wise, right? And it could be the ugliest quote unquote software, it could be something that's cobbled together in Angular or, you know, uh, Visual studio or something like that as long as the core functionality is there right because you can show the functionality and then sell the dream right so it's at that stage that i would engage with the user experience designer and say map out some basic user flows to me uh, or for me Uh, give me some screens some example screens that represent those flows maybe make me a rough prototype because i'm i'm a firm believer that Most MVPs should be a prototype that's built in like Figma or something like that, because it's a lot cheaper to engage a UX designer than it is to engage a development team. Now, to some of your earlier blog posts in regards to, um, um, oh gosh, I lost my train of thought. Give me a second. In regards to, go ahead.
1: I mean, one thing I talk about a lot is it's it's pretty easy to find software developers. It's really hard to find people that understand product, user experience, exactly. even software architecture, all those things, right? Like, it's pretty easy to find a software developer and say, go build this thing. It's all the rest of it that I find is the hard part.
0: And where would one find those software developers, Matt? Full scale is a good place. We've got a few. We've got a few. <laughs> I couldn't resist uh, throwing you a plug there. Um but anyway, so where would they, at what point, it varies from uh, organization to organization, but the nice thing about having something that, you know, I use the phrase selling the dream, your pitch deck should show at least some initial concepts of what the sexy version of your software looks like. And that's the mistake a lot of people make is they'll just hire a graphic designer or a web designer to do that piece of it. And so it's not really going to be something that you that you can use to move your software forward in the future if you hire a ux designer the difference is a ux slash ui designer is going to be someone who can think through the user flows who can develop initial personas and and develop those initial screens in such a way and those initial prototypes in such a way that it kind of explains itself to whoever you're presenting it to and it informs your software as you move as you move forward so one of the things one of my pet peeves is doing work that is gonna be thrown away. It's one of my yeah. big, biggest pet peeves. So if you're not th- thinking like a chess player, you know, 10, 15 steps down the, uh, or moves down the line, if not more, and looking at that user flow and that persona and going, okay, how is this gonna, how can I use this to inform my business as I go forward? Because one of the things I've seen be a challenge for young startups is they pivot so much because They don't spend enough time in the initial thought phase. Now, pivoting, obviously, is going to happen with any startup. I mean, it has to, right? Because uh, as you're finding product market fit, pivots are a necessity. But if you've at least thought through who your customer is and what your basic user flows are going to be, at least that information and that learning is something that you can build upon. You can't build upon pretty screens that some designer just kind of cranked out because they were... Good looking,
1: right? You know what i what I heard out of all of that is you were going to make my dreams come true and make me sexy. That's what uh, I. That's.
0: I, I'll need your help. I okay, mean, but you'll have to take. Here's here's how I'd answer <laughs> that. You'll have to actually take and implement my advice for your or my advice for your <laughs> dreams to come true and for you to be sexy. Well, and actually, the first one's easier. The dreams coming true is easier.
1: So let me let me ask you this. So if I'm a startup and I'm thinking about working with somebody to do user experience, they very rarely ever need to hire somebody full time to do this. Right. Like it no. makes way more sense to hire a, a consultant like you, somebody like you that can spend maybe a couple weeks, a month, a few weeks, whatever, figure out, OK, these are the core things you need help with. These are the things you need to improve. And then a lot of times then you're like, okay, now the development team's going to spend a few more weeks like going and implementing it, right? And, Absolutely. Absolutely. And it like makes no sense for them to do a bunch more UX design work when they haven't even implemented the first round of it, so.
0: Absolutely, 100%. And, uh, you know, this will sound like a shameless plug for my services, but the truth of the matter is a lot of times I've seen young startups out and hire a wet behind the ears designer, right? Even Facebook yeah. did this. Facebook did this with their first design person, and they hired them right out of school. Now, they were fortunate that because they found a diamond in the rough, and she ended up leading all of their design efforts until she left two years ago, right? And so they they were super lucky, but they also hired in a talent-rich area, which was San Fran, right? So they were able to get somebody at that level fresh out of school. The benefit of hiring a consultant right out of the gate is you have a defined cost, right? I'm gonna spend X amount on this phase of my UX design and then I'm not spending anything else on it right? right because otherwise what I've seen happen is the initial round of UX design will get done and then your full-time UX designer is twiddling their thumbs while it's being in- implemented and you're still paying them
1: right what so yeah. what do you what do you think somebody would have to budget to do this is it is this something where they'd spend five grand a quarter ten grand a quarter like what what kind of budget do you think you know, someone should have to, to do this kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, it comes back to the complexity of the offering, right? So, and who the customer is, right? It's a different animal to sell to consumers than it is to sell to software yeah. developers. You know, so the user determines a lot of it as far as budget goes because there's other considerations and there's expertise. You know, one of the things I really enjoy about user experience design is that I get to work across a lot of different industries. But because of that, there's a discovery phase that is built into. cost of what i do right because i don't want to come back with a bunch of half-cocked uh generic uh, recommendations for my clients i want to know that i know their customer at least as well as they do right so from that standpoint initial cost i would say if you wanted to get someone to do user flows wireframes a prototype and personas and do the necessary upfront user research a six-month engagement at about five grand a month would be reasonable.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, and I think for a lot of early-stage companies that that should be something that they can, af- you know, potentially afford. Right. It's not not out of this world, you know. And
0: we're talking thirty grand, no benefits. You're not paying there's their, uh, yeah. their uh, employment taxes. You're not. You don't have all that employee cost,
1: Right. right? And it can be the and difference then- for them and their software from. Sort of looking good to be the dream and sexy.
0: Yeah, exactly. And beyond that, actually work.
1: (laughs) Yes. Well, I do want to remind everybody, if you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, FullScale can help. We have the platform and the team to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit uh, FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let our platform match you up with our fully vetted, highly experienced team of software engineers. At FullScale, we specialize in building a long-term team that works only for you. That's the big key and difference. Uh, please learn more when you visit FullScale.io. Well, Mel, I really appreciate having you on the show today. and um, After 20-something years, uh, we finally get to do a podcast together, so I'm I'm glad we got to do this. No, this is super fun. Super fun. So um, as we round out the show today, I'm I'm curious if you have any other final tips about you know, even entrepreneurship or uh, UX, design, any of that kind of stuff.
0: Absolutely. I want to share something. I actually have to pull up my notion real quick so I can Uh share it accurately. Oh, I'm not going to share my screen or anything like that, but... Um, There is a question that I've been asking myself recently in regards to my business that is driving all of my thinking around my business. And I actually got this from another UX consultant and I thought it was the best question anybody had ever presented to me to ask about my business. So the question goes like this, When when you're thinking about your marketing materials, your offers, your efforts, any of that, the, the one question you should be thinking about your customers asking is this, why should I pick you over all the other options, options I have in the marketplace, including doing nothing? Yes. Right? Yes. And if you can answer that question, then you're going to be successful,
1: right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's something I would tell startups all the time. You know, it's like, why, why are they going to pick you? Who cares? And, you know, why are you different? Like there's, there's gotta be a really compelling reason.
0: Well, yeah, it's like, uh, have you read, uh, Peter Thiel's book, Zero to One?
1: I don't read books.
0: Okay. Well, I'll, I'll send you some, uh, some clips from it. But, uh, basically he says there's two types of businesses. There are zero businesses and there are one businesses. And I'll send you uh, the summary, but to anyone listening to the podcast, definitely check out that book because, uh, there's, there's a lot of knowledge there.
1: One of the other things you mentioned earlier that that stuck with me from our show today was the difference between like UX and design versus art. And that Uh art should make you actually ask questions where user experience and design should always answer the questions. And uh, I thought that was interesting. I never never thought of that before. So that was one of my uh, takeaways from today's show too. So
0: yeah, I mentor a lot of young designers and that's one of the things I tell them all the time. Like if you present something to me, And it does not answer all the questions you haven't thought hard enough about the design while you're doing it.
1: Yep. Well, Mel, thank you so much for being on the show. Again, this was Melvin Hogan. Uh, You can check out his website at melvinhogan.com. You can find him on LinkedIn and and everywhere else. And uh, he's available to do user experience consulting, I'm sure. Um, Mel, Mel, thank you so much for being on the show today.
0: Yep, you can also find me on the first first page of Google because I'm that guy. (laughs)
1: all right all right thank you mo thanks
0: we'll talk to you soon startup
1: hustles brought to you by fullscale.io
0: helping you build a software team quickly and affordably make sure you
1: reach down and hit that subscribe button then come find us on instagram see you next time